Before we start the podcast, please make sure you check the description for any content warnings that may be relevant to you. You're listening to an ILX podcast. Welcome to ILX Podcasts. In this series, we're discussing diversity and inclusion in the workplace, why it's so important, how far we've come, and where we're headed next. We reached out to as many people as possible in our personal and professional networks with the aim of having honest conversations where those involved could share their experiences, thoughts, and opinions on various areas of diversity. And these are the conversations we had. Hi, so I'm Russell Kenrick. I'm Adam Deuce. Hello, my name is Amelie. My name is Shalina Samani. My name's Tim Packer. My name is Celia Sandia Daniels. Hi, I'm Emily Hamilton. My name's Chris Coombs. Hi, I'm Holly. I'm Erina. I'm Miao. I'm Hazel. I'm Giuliano. I'm Indigo Rosen Hunt. I'm Priya. My name's Katie. I'm Scott Hunter. My name is Phoebe. I'm Alice. And on behalf of ILEX, I really hope you enjoy these podcasts. If you do, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. I'd also encourage you to check the description box for any additional information related to the topics discussed in this series and to find out more about ILX's diversity and inclusion group. Continuing our discussion around gender identity, we explore the prejudices that affect trans and non-binary people and what the future looks like for us all. My name is Celia Sandhya Daniels. I identify as an Asian immigrant. I'm a parent. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm married to a beautiful cisgender woman. I am a hiker, blogger, public speaker, musician. I have done a lot of things in my life, but when I came out with my gender identity and my gender fluidness, or I would say uh, I'm a non-op trans, when I came out, um, none of that matter you know it was just that celia is trans and that was the kind of issue that i was facing in the community but uh, today i'm here to talk about some of the issues as a corporate executive i've been working in the corporate uh, industry for a while almost like 20 plus years but just to give you an idea i'm the in the executive board of trans can work i'm also uh, the vice president of uh, stonewall democrats in um, in our county here in california so I started out as a trans activist and I ended, um, you know, I'm still, I've become a human rights activist more than just fighting for the trans rights, but also fighting for the human rights that really matters in our community, in our country here. I wanted to start by saying that I was uh, a child and I grew up in Southern India in a small town called Chennai. It's a city now, it's kind of developing, but uh, while I was uh, um, in the early seventies, when I was um born and I was trying to come out and I remember probably when I was four years old I remember telling my mom that I wanted to be a girl and I covered my head with my mom's sari my mom thought it was really cute you know looking at the way I was uh, reacting to my own gender identity at the time and that's the only thing I could tell my mom that I want to be a girl and I want to be a girl My mom looked at the social constructs uh, created by the colonial British government in India. It was very binary at the time, which kind of uh, created a lot of 
question in the minds of people like me you know like what do i do where do i identify my mom was very confused and she said you know no uh, you are a boy and you cannot do this and that's the first time i realized that i can't um be a girl you know you cannot dress in uh, girls clothes and i went into a closet and i started learning to suppress my femininity and i started surviving it was difficult at the time because i didn't know what was going on i wasn't attracted to men i was or boys i was attracted to girls in fact i wanted to be a girl and every day i would wake up thinking that you know how do i uh, make sure that i don't express my femininity so that i won't get bullied at school i won't get you know marked at school as this is a sissy boy but whenever i would come home and when there was no one in my house i would just slip on my mom's petticoat i will just twirl around and i will think that why can't i be a girl you know i just love it and um unfortunately that's the way i was holding on to a lot of trauma inside and that is called gender dysphoria because you're born in a male gender and you you want to be in another gender that's called the preferred gender or the chosen gender and to me i was there was a boy i was more comfortable i was more happier when i was celia and i remember that was the way i was and i was so happy but at the same time i was a little bit sad all the time and i couldn't explain why i was sad i remember growing up in a christian home especially with my conservative christian parents and they were very evangelical so that was a second layer of trauma that i was going through and the third layer of trauma that i went through especially for people who are listening to this podcast might be a little bit of um, you know upsetting for you but i just want to give you a trigger warning um i was molested by my uncle when i was in my fourth grade and i didn't know what to do and i didn't know how to react to it it was my uh, very close um, my mother's relative and i didn't know how to react to it so i didn't want to tell my mom i didn't want to tell anyone about it because it was very shameful for me that man walked around our house like nothing happened on top of these layers of trauma that people are going through when you're vulnerable and when this happens to you you cannot take the blame on yourself so it was hard enough for me to go through these layers of trauma and abuse and shame and um now here was a breaking point so one day i said you know what i'm going to go out as a girl and see what's going to happen i was passing through a construction site and i saw a security guard in the what in the construction site who quickly caught hold of me he thought i was a girl walking around in a in in that area and he called me and when he looked at me closely in the light he knew that i was a boy and uh, i was you know he started laughing he started making noise and he was drunk and he started calling his friends who were sitting and drinking there and almost like eight men eight to 10 men they surrounded me and they started pointing fingers and the most derogatory language i could hear on earth was you know like they started mm-hmm. telling me these things and i this that they said you know where is your father i'm going to take you to your father we're going to beat you up and take you to your father people like you shouldn't even live in this place they were using in a, and they were speaking in a different language and i was so scared i was standing there thinking i didn't do anything uh, why are you doing this to me and suddenly uh, women came you know a lot of women who were passing by and they started standing and started laughing at me you know they started kind of pointing fingers like oh, look at that boy and they're laughing so i spoke in a different language and i was almost like 15 20 minutes i was just standing there and uh, i i didn't do, i couldn't even cry because um i was angry <laughs> yeah. and that was the first time i ever faced discrimination in my life as um a person trans person and i i i spoke in another language and ran away from that place came back home 
I went to the terrace and I thought I need to kill myself. What do I do? What do I do with my life? Where do I go from here? Um, I was so angry. So I started um, choking myself. I put some plastic bag on my head and I was trying to kill myself and all that. So it went on for a while and I could feel the time I was uh, literally running out of uh, air in my lungs. And I, that's the time, first time I felt like I was afraid to die. And I was also afraid to live. So it was very difficult situation for a 10 or 11 year old child to go through this kind of situation, not able to tell your mm-hmm. parents and going through all these traumas. So I told myself that, you know what, I'm never ever, I think this is going to go away. So while I was a child, I was dreaming and then I was doubting myself as to, is this real or is this going to go away? So I went to a point where I started living in denial. I said, you know, it's maybe a phase that I'm going through. And I truly believed at the time in my denial stage that maybe if I get married, this will go away. Um, So I thought, okay, let me get married. And and, uh, I was attracted to women and I saw this beautiful girl. My parents gave me this picture and said, do you want to meet her? And I was like, oh yeah, sure. (laughs) So I met this girl. We immediately connected and um, uh, then I thought, oh, this is fantastic. Let me just get on, get on with my life. Maybe all this thing will go away. So I got married and my boss said, hey, go to, we, need, we need somebody like you to go to America. We have a client who wants someone like you and would you like to go? And I said, sure. So I, I came to US in 97. I was in New York, New Jersey, and then my wife joined me. Um, that was the time I, within one year of our marriage, it started coming back. And um, that's why I tell people that these are not a lifestyle choice. You know, you don't wake up and choose to be trans. That's in your DNA. Now, I built my career while I was successful as a businessman, as a young, on, I, would, I was an entrepreneur, but as a young client partner in these companies, I was doing, I was developing business. I had stock and, um, you know, my promotions were great. I was doing very well, successful, but I would go every day to the hotel room after a presentation and I would change into a maxi dress. I would sit down and I would just cry. I didn't know why I was crying because I felt like I was trapped inside. Yeah. And I, I didn't hate being a male, but I wanted to be a female. You know, that's, that was something that I couldn't understand because all my trans friends told me that if you transition, you will be happy. And I said, I don't want to transition. Can I be a girl? You know, I, and also a, a boy, <laughs> you know, can this really work? And they said, no, uh, you are either a cross-dresser or you're a transsexual. And that was those terminologies that was used those days. I'm um, talking mm-hmm. about early 2000. And I, co- I told my wife about myself and I told her, sweetheart, I'm going through something. I want you to know. By the time I had a daughter too. And she said, oh, I think it is fetish. You'll be fine. And, <laughs> and that's the time I started thinking about it. I said, no, it's not fetish. So to me, it hit a point where I thought, why can't I be myself and still not transition? Are there people like me? I came to this point where I discovered myself and I started, you know, holding on to it. And then I went to a point where I started, um, you know, talking to my wife again and again. My family was important to me. My job was important to me. My self-care was important to me. I was taking care of these two things without taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. So I was falling apart, trying to keep my family together, trying to keep my work together. I didn't want to come out at work. After 20 years of working and um, making a lot of money in the company that I was working with, I I decided to quit. To me, that felt like I wanted to come out and work and I wanted to help these people that I'm gender non-binary. So I found um, some of the companies were just pink washing at the time. 
And to me, um, they were saying that they're supportive to the LGBTQ community and they're so open to people who are trans. But in reality, no, it's because um, I didn't want to compromise on my experience. And I told them, look, I'm a senior director working in my company. And if, I, if I'm coming to the office as a gender non-binary, if I'm coming out, I want a job at that level. I'm not going down because I'm trans. Yeah, and that's what companies are doing today. And that's what I want to change. The culture has not changed where it's predominantly white or, you know, companies have predominantly had a patriarchy. We want to invite people who are not LGBTQ for LGBTQ meetings. We want to invite men for the women's meeting so that they will be there in those spaces to be your allies. I think that's what companies miss that point. And when you proactively start doing it, what happens is the culture starts changing and the men will be an advocate for the women. Mm. The people who are um, allies will be an advocate for the trans community because they have understood the pain they're going through. So the uh, one thing that I want to leave us with the concept of allies means acknowledge the privilege that you're different and you have the uh, you know privilege to help someone. L is to listen to the community. Another L is to learn to unlearn. I used to instigate conversations that are difficult and they're difficult, especially because the community is not in the room and you are the only person representing that conversation or that kind of space in that con- in that uh, office. Mm. E means educate. S means support by being involved. Don't just give some money to somebody to AIDS walk, but go for AIDS walk. You know, walk with them for five miles and learn something. So the allyship is so important in companies, you know, and it has to come from the heart of the employees. So yeah, it should not be just reactive, but it has to be even beyond that, where you create your culture in a way that you you know this is going to happen. And you, you probably even anticipate if 2025, you have so many millennials coming in, just think about the young entrepreneurship type of a mindset that they have. They don't want to join a company that's paying them well, but they want to join a company that has a good value, that they feel that, hey, my my race is being represented here. I see the CEO of a company looks like me. I see the my 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 boss, she um, you know, she she looks like me. That's how it should be. Um, I think that's where the companies have to make a, a leap in terms of being proactive. But proactive is great. Mm. And at the same time, uh, you know, constantly, constantly changing and um, evolving. The best thing is to be patient with people and educate them. And I do that with my wife. It took 17 years, right? <laughs> and my daughter, it took like 25 minutes or 30 minutes. So there is a difference between the younger generation who are growing up in an environment where they really get it. Mm. To them, they don't see trans person as a different person at all. They don't see intersectional identities as different. They, to them, it's like, that's another human being. And if they want to be gender neutral, if they want to be gender non-money, the person is black, the person is Chinese, I don't care. Mm. They're just my friends. Hi, I'm uh, Emily Hamilton. I'm Vice President of Strategic Change at RS Components. What's been your experience of the attitude towards essentially accepting all genders in the workplace? Broadly positive, I have to say. I mean, I'm very lucky. I work for an organisation that that, that puts a lot of effort into this and usualising everyone's experience everyone's experience is different you know, there's no right way to be a woman to be a man to be transgender everyone comes 
to being who they are through a different route. So my organization has been, been pretty good at that. And I've not had any, um, any sort of adverse reaction either in coming out as transgender and, and people adjusting to, to you know, the, 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 the version of me they see now. Um, nor as a, as, a, as a senior leader who is a woman in our business. Um, you know, is our gender balance where it needs to be? No, it's not. That it would be honest. My organization would be honest about that. Um, is it improving? I think it is. Um, do I get treated differently by people now? They, they are able to see that I'm a woman. And, and I guess, yes, I've seen a difference. I've seen subtle differences in the way people uh, behave in a work context. And, and that's not to mean they're going out of their way to be unpleasant or uh, transphobic or, or misogynist, but some of those, some of the, particularly the misogyny, some of that creeps in and, it, and it's unintentional, it's, it's unconscious bias. Um, I've noticed that sometimes when I say things, um, they don't mean quite as much as they used to. I've noticed that when I have said something, sometimes a man on the call will repeat what I said and it will engender more conversation. Um, and it's a really horrible place to be because there's part of me thinking that's really validating. Yay, you know, everyone sees who I am. Yeah. And there's part of me that's absolutely spitting mad because <laughs> I am and always have been a feminist. And yeah, hang on, I just said that. Hang on. You yeah. Know, why, are you, why are you explaining back to me something that I'm... You know, I've got 20 odd years experience in and I've, I've just told you. I think there's a temptation when we're thinking about DNI at work and we're thinking, what can we do to make a, a, a place more inclusive? And there are a few things, you know, from a gender perspective that people rush straight to. Oh, what we need are gender neutral toilets. Yes, you do, but not necessarily in the way you're thinking. So somebody said to me the other day, it was really great we did gender neutral toilets in the office. I said, you know, it was really brilliant. Do you know why? when it was brilliant for me was when I'd come out to people, but I hadn't started presenting because I didn't want to go in the men's room anymore. Mm. I didn't feel comfortable going into the, into the ladies while I was still presenting effectively in, in a male guise, mm -hmm. which, which kind of goes all against all of the things everyone's been saying that I was just desperate to get in the women's toilet. <laughs> yeah. um, so having a gender neutral toilet for me then helped. For people who are non-binary, it helps. Um, it gives them a place that they can feel safe. So I think, you know, saying, well, for all the trans people, they should just use a gender neutral toilet. That's othering and that's 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 not appropriate. Mm. And it's the same with pronouns on bios, the same as pronouns on the end of your email. If you are comfortable, it's great. You should never compel people. There are people saying, we should say, you have to put your pronouns at the end. Now, I, the, the rejoinder to that from me was, if you told me, if you'd come up with that two years ago in the workplace, you would have been forcing me to either out myself or give myself extra mental pain by having to see something that wasn't me. It was bad enough seeing my old name, but mm. then having to see male pronouns on top of it. Um, so yes, if you're comfortable, if it's something you're happy with and you're happy with your, uh, your place in the world, that's great, but, um, but no compulsion. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And like with um, gender neutral language in general as well, I'm curious what your experiences of it have been like in witnessing it, experience, whatever, because for me, conversations that I've um, quite a lot of them I've overheard 
uh, like I said previously, people finding it just like, oh, what? I have to refer to this person as they or whatever. It's usually the the neutral term, the they, them. The people who say that, the people who get very excited about, oh, you know, they and them is not, they're not singulars, therefore you, you can't, well, let's not even go there. It's been, been, it's been a singular pronoun since the 14th century, I think. Mm. Um, these are the same people who would have absolutely no problem waking up in the middle of the night, hearing a noise in their garden, turning to their partner and saying, there's somebody in the garden, I can see them over there, they are doing something to the window of the shed. Yeah. They would, they, would, they would come out with that without any problem whatsoever. And mm. when you said to them, why, why, so why didn't you say he's in the garden trying to get in? Well, I don't know if it's a man or a woman. Oh. So you, you're, you're, you're capable of, without even thinking of, of taking gender neutral approaches to somebody that you aren't able to place as male or female. Mm. But when somebody tells you that they don't feel comfortable in either of those binaries, all of a sudden it's an issue and you can't wrap your head around it. You can't incorporate it into your conversation. And I say, no, you just don't want to. Yeah. You've got a barrier in your head that says, this is making me uncomfortable and therefore I'm going to make you uncomfortable. And, mm. and it's exactly the same with deliberate misgendering for people like myself. Yeah. You know, if somebody insists on referring to me by male pronouns after it's been made clear to them that's that's not how I would wish to be uh, referred then that's because it's made them uncomfortable and therefore they feel they should make me uncomfortable in return you know I think thinking about inappropriate things people have said I mean I, I talked to a very good friend of mine Preston who's uh, who's a trans trans man and we did some some trans awareness work around inappropriate things people had said to us and, and, you know, one of the questions was, how do you have sex? Um, one of the questions was, um, do you have a penis or a vagina now? Oh. You know, these, these are things people will ask. And it's like, turn it around. If I were to ask what was in your underwear, would you feel comfortable? Don't yeah. ask something that you wouldn't feel comfortable having asked in return. Yeah. Having, uh, the surgery. Which one? Appendix? You know? <laughs> had some surgery once, yeah, you know. <laughs> these these are not appropriate things to ask and and we need to do better as a society and the media has a massive part to play there um mm. and and i think that the crucial thing from a, a diversity perspective we have a duty everyone has a duty if you if you see people behaving that way call them out mm. don't be worried about i mean the latest word is woke you know i, I don't really even know what the hell that means i don't think <laughs> um the war on woke well don't be frightened to be woke because it just means treating people with respect. It just means being informed. Mm. So if you see somebody being abused or people being unpleasant, call it out because there's not enough of us. There aren't enough trans people. There aren't enough in uh, people in the lesbian, gay, uh, bisexual community to, to, to fight this on our own. We need to have people around us who say that's not okay. Mm. If you see racism, call it out. I think most people would, 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 I hope, say if they saw some racist incident happening, they would intervene. They have to be the same about all forms of discrimination and bigotry, mm. you know, whether it be racism, homophobia, um, misogyny, um, anything. You call it out because we need you. Yeah, I was going to ask as well, actually, like how important um allies are in all of these conversations and inter yeah when it comes to diversity because 
that's a good point like you said it's like sometimes there aren't enough voices in the in the group that we're talking about so trans people here um in this part of the conversation um to kind of amplify what we're saying you need other people to to step up and also comment on things yeah and demonstrate i mean human decency is it's not restricted to, to minority groups we are we don't have a, mon a monopoly on on being decent and and we need and, and generally speaking let, let's say it it's cisgender white straight people to not feel that because they're comfortable that that's okay and that's enough their comfort is not going to be eroded by by giving people the same rights that they have you know mm. the message i want to get out there to people who are behaving in a discriminatory way now whether that be transphobia homophobia racism sexism you know we know what decent behavior is there there is no excuse to say it was a different time or mm. there were two sides to the story or you know i have a different opinion you know what is human and what is humanity and you know what is not transgender people have a, an incredibly high suicide rate um, you know, I'd be very open about it. I've had two suicide attempts in my life uh, relating to my gender identity. And the climate of fear that is that is engendered about people in minority groups, um, it's the same old tripe. It was the same things that were said about black people um, in, uh, in the early part of the 20th century, what we used to call scientific racism. If we don't stamp those things out, then we are doomed to repeat some of the failures of the past. And from a business perspective, and this is really important to me, governments have, in a lot of cases, and, and, and you know, I do classify the UK with this, we're, we're not in a good place from a, uh, an equalities perspective in the UK at the moment. Governments have tended to withdraw from the equality space, or they've, they've started to rewind some of the equalities uh, provisions that have been made over the last few years. It leaves a vacuum. It leaves, somebody has to step in. There has to be someone stepping in to, to fill that vacuum to make sure that people feel safe and comfortable. And corporations have a, have a job to play there. Corporations have a massive role to play. Um, in, in the US, when bathroom bills were introduced, there's a, a peculiar fascination with how particularly transgender women go to the toilet um yeah i don't get that it's bizarre it's, it is an incredibly bizarre thing um you know for for anyone who's listening i can tell you how it works you, you go to a cubicle lock the door go to the toilet <laughs> unlock the door come out wash your hands check your makeup perhaps if you're wearing them <laughs> and leave um it's exactly the same as for anyone else but when the americans put put some uh, bathroom bills in which which said you had to have a effectively your birth certificate confirming you were born and assigned female at birth, um, you could not use that bathroom. It was because businesses stepped in and said, we will not enforce that. We cannot enforce that. That, that makes us ineffective. It treats people with uh, less dignity than they are deserving of. And it was corporations that made the difference. And I think in the UK and, and still in the US, there's a lot to unpick after the last four years. Um, corporations have a, have a real part to play there. And you know, if you are at work and if you're looking around you and you're seeing people who are not like you, that's a good thing. 
Mm. You know, that is different opinions, different cultural backgrounds, uh, different ways of thinking. Um, you know, all of those things are good because they 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 stop you having groupthink, um, and groupthink is a really really bad thing to have. So, corporations step up. You've got a chance. You have a chance mm. um, to make people's lives better, and it's good business. Yeah, you get a good return on your business if you've got people who are not frightened about hiding who they are. They're not using more than sixty percent of their mental capacity in wondering is somebody going to find out my secret. I, mm. I certainly live like that. I, I knew I was trans at the age of six. I came out finally. It was the third time I tried to. I came out finally at the age of forty-two, um, and. All of those years, a big part of my of my mental capacity was, am I am I revealing my secret? Am I letting somebody know? Have I left a bit of nail varnish on my nails and somebody's going to spot it and then that's it, it's curtains for me. Yeah. It's amazing what you release in your employees and the people you work with if you are just open to everyone having their own path to their identity. Having a history as, you know, having to, having to go through gender transition is just a life event you've gone through and, and thereafter well there's Emily she's a woman and and I would quite like it if women got treated as equally as men and and we didn't have all of the systematic problems that we see in society mm. um, but you know I, I will carry on fighting for those and that's not just fighting for trans women's rights it's fighting for women's rights mm. Um, you know, people will call me a trans rights activist as a slur, as a, well, you're just a TRA. I'm quite proud that I'm a trans rights activist, but actually I'd say I'm a human rights activist. Yeah. Um, trans rights are human rights, and once you erode the rights of one group for an immutable characteristic, then where else do you go after that? So mm. I, I'm, I'm very comfortable if people genuinely want to have a colorblind, genderblind society, then that's okay. But mm. make sure it is. Make sure, make sure it is, and it's not just you managing to perpetuate your prejudices. That's what I would say. Go to reput reputable, recognizable charities that work in, in these fields. If you're interested in the LGBTQ plus community in general, Stonewall are a great place to go. Stonewall, you know, copping a whole load of grief at the moment for, for nefarious reasons. Stonewall really are the leaders in that field in the UK. Go and look at their website, look at what they are advocating for, look at some of the statistics, the stories. From a, from a transgender perspective, um, for young people, Mermaids is an amazing charity that looks out for uh, the families and, uh, and for young trans people. Um, there is GRS, G-I-R-E-S is another, um, another group you can look at. The Beaumont Society, which has been around for years, they will give you a view of what the reality of, of being trans is about and, and the things we go through and the, why we feel the way we feel and, uh, in a more general perspective. Um, and you can do the same for, uh, you know, whether that be for, for women's rights, you know, look for reputable, established charities um, that have been in existence for a while because they will tend to have less of an agenda, less of a less of a, a divisive agenda. They're much more about what we would properly call inclusion and diversity, um, and, and that would be my advice, I think. But but don't Google. Certainly, don't believe what you read in the papers. Don't believe what you see on the news. 
um, because, you know, to our point earlier, media is very skewed against minorities, whether it be overtly, um, which, it, which it certainly is for, for trans people and to an extent for uh, LGBTQ um, plus people. Um, but also for people from ethnic minority backgrounds, think about it when you're watching a program, look at the way people are portrayed from different, different cultures and backgrounds mm. uh, and think to yourself, this is probably not the place to educate myself. Yeah. Uh, and I guess the last word is you may come across people like me who are happy to educate and happy to talk and happy to advocate for our community. Not all of us feel that way. Don't assume that the person you meet from any any minority community is there as a spokesperson or a fount of all knowledge or your replacement for you doing some, some legwork. Um, I can only give my, my view on life, my opinion, my pathway, my, my transition is different to every other trans person's transition that I've met. And I've not seen two people alike yet. Mm. Um, so don't assume that I've got all the answers, but I can certainly give you, as I hope to, uh, I've done today, give you a flavor for how some of the things that happen in society come across to us, um, but we all take things differently. Gender has evolved, and now more than ever, it's something that is completely individual and deeply personal. From what's been discussed here, whether someone identifies outside of the gender binary, or they simply dress or behave in a way that wouldn't previously have been expected perhaps, it's clear that the most important thing is that we let people be themselves and respect the choices they make. Using gender neutral language and taking the time to understand other people's experiences can help massively of course, but ultimately it's all about being patient, understanding and empathetic.